0: Chapter 9 is where we're starting this morning. We started there Wednesday night, or, or continued into there Wednesday night, so we'll pick up again Revelation 9 today. Uh, but before we do, you know, we have to go through our review. I'll try to be a little quick, but I certainly want to get your involvement in it. Uh, the name Revelation comes from the original word Apocalypsis. What does it mean? Revealing. It's not a book, it's not a book that is a hidden message, it's a revealing of a message. Uh, now, we see it in, a, in this type of writing, and we feel like it's hidden. It was hidden from those who didn't understand what the Jews were doing with apocalyptic literature, but it is a revealing of a message from God, and the message is what? God wins. It's about the destruction of the Roman Empire, uh, the church's existence through the persecution of the Roman Empire, but in the end, what God knows is that, and what he's displaying to them is, no matter what they go through, he wins, uh, chapter 1 is dealing with more of an introduction, and John is on the island of Patmos, and it's written in signs. He tells us this is, a, this is signified to him, and so he records what he sees. Uh, and what we know about signs is that they don't represent themselves. So how do I figure out what they do represent? Okay, first off, I can look back through, well, they're not in order, I guess, but one of the things I have to do is I can go back through, especially the Old Testament with the prophets, and I can see how they use terms that are now being used in Revelation and what they meant, and that helps me to understand uh, the book. Which, by the way, also helps you understand why the message would be hidden from those people primarily in the Roman Empire, yet understood by those people who had a background that had come out of the Old Testament uh, okay, so you look back into the prophets in the Old Testament. What else? Okay, two, two right there. One is, sometimes right in the text itself, he explains what's happening again chapter one jesus is seen by john and he's in the these candlesticks are around him and he's got these stars in his hand and then he explains to us what those are and that represents the messengers to the churches are in his hand and the lamp represent the churches of asia minor so sometimes right in the text and the other thing is to keep it in its context that's what you said wasn't it to keep it in its context of the first century which is different than what we would see today if this same book's written to us today it would be significantly different right Uh, because we don't have the same kind of background and our culture or the environment of today is different so if uh, if god were for example to write about some nation's great fall today it wouldn't be identical to what he was writing in their culture because their culture was different so the book of revelation to get these signs you got to keep them kind of in their place okay so chapter 1 is the introduction, chapter 2 and chapter 3 is specifically letters that are given to John to, uh, to, to deliver to these seven churches of Asia Minor about what's happening in the churches and what they're dealing with. Once you get to chapter 4, you start to really see these apocalyptic visions, and now it's about not only the church, but about Rome. It's about what's happening outside. So chapter 4 told us what? Give me, I don't, you don't have to obviously have a whole bunch of details, but I want a general idea of these chapters as we go through them. Chapter 4 is what? God is still on his throne. No matter what it looks like with Rome, God is still on his throne. Chapter 5. Okay. Remember there was the the scroll in the hand of of God on the throne, but nobody could open it. And so the lamb in chapter 5 shows up, and he is... By the way, chapter 4 was not just that God was there, but he was worthy of worship, right? Okay, and so Jesus takes that scroll because he is worthy... Uh, he has sacrificed and he has overcome death. And so he also is worthy of worship as he opens the scroll. And what does the scroll contain? What was it about? The future. Okay, so this is what's coming. So each one of these, it has seven seals on this scroll, right? And it, so it's going to be open one at a time. All right, what is chapter 6? What's happening on the outside, but it deals with those six seals. Six of the seven, anyway. Six of those seals, and you remember as we, as we talked about this, I told you I take a little bit different view than, than a lot of people take in the sense of everything in this book to a lot of people is about judgment. I don't see that in, in these six seals. What I see in the six seals is the continuation of the church. What's going to happen to the church? And so each, each of these seals is open, something happens, like the first one. All of a sudden what you see is the gospel keeps going out. No matter what's happening in Rome, the gospel is not going to stop, right? So the gospel keeps going out, but then the second seal all of a sudden tells us that because the gospel goes out, well, persecution increases. So you start to see that continue on, and then later on in chapter 6, you have these souls under the altar who have have lost their lives because of their faith, and they cry out to God, how long, right? Okay, and then the sixth seal is opened, and you have the events that take place, which is an answer to... This question of how long it's going to happen and then you get to the end of that sixth seal and they look at what God has just said about or what John has just recorded. What John has just seen about what's coming and they say who's going to make it through this, right? I mean it's going to be so bad who can possibly survive it? Chapter 7, what is it? Yeah, I call chapter 7 a pause. Uh, it's a parenthesis. Between the 6th and 7th seal, you have a parenthesis, and that's chapter 7. And what that is, is the answer to the question, who's going to make it? Who is going to survive all of this this judgment that's going to be coming from God? And the answer is, it's found in that that symbolism of, uh, taken from Ezekiel chapter 9, where what God is saying is, yes, there's judgment coming, but what you need to know is, I know who belongs to me. And so, symbolically, there's this messenger that goes through and places a mark on, on the people that are of God and the numbers were represented by the fact that it means they are absolutely and completely and totally committed to Him and He absolutely and completely and totally knows who they are, right? So there was no chance that God was going to get it wrong. There was no chance that somebody was going to you know miss out if they deserved to, to be faithful. If they were faithful to God, there's no way they were going to miss out on His reward and all of that. So that chapter had to do with the answer to the question of who's going to make it. Now chapter 8 is what? Now we're getting into the part that we've only gone through once, so. Okay, first off, you start with this seventh seal that's opened, right? And the seventh seal, when it is open, what we have is we have a period of time in which there's silence in heaven. Why? Do you remember? Christians are praying. Christians are praying, and God's hearing it. There's a messenger, and he has this incense, which is the prayers of of christians and he takes fire from the altar and he casts it from the earth and that seventh seal reveals to us another set of sevens which are the trumpets which takes us into chapter nine which is where we are the early part of the uh, couple things i want to highlight about the trumpets before we go further into them is they again are not the end they're not the fall of rome but what they are is partial judgments what God's drawing them to, and what we'll get to even as we go through the text today is this place where we get where there's just there's it, there's no opportunity anymore you know you uh, you work and you work and work you try to get people to do the right thing, but there comes a point in time where there's there's just no more opportunity right We have the opportunity every single day we live to serve God right and we put it off we say, one of these days when I'm older when i'm when i when I have a better career, when I'm established when my family's growing, well, I'll do it then, but eventually those opportunities cease right. That's these seven trumpets. These seven trumpets, as each one is opened, there is a partial judgment that is attributed to God's providence. And yet when you get to the end of it, you find that God says, but they didn't listen. Then you go into another set of sevens, which is going to be the wrath of God, the bowls of God's wrath. So in these seven trumpets, the first thing we saw as they were opened, the first four directly uh, affected the world. Meaning that the, the consequences of the policies of this government of Rome had brought about difficulties for everybody as far as a, the, the world is concerned. We saw famine and drought and we saw commerce being destroyed. And so the, the world is crumbling around Rome as a result of the decisions that they have made. And God's pronouncing that as his judgment is a providential answer to what Rome was doing against him. Now as you got into chapter 9, we had a fifth angel And this fifth angel, when when he sounds, what John sees is something that has fallen from heaven. Not is falling. He doesn't watch this messenger fall. This is a messenger who has fallen. And as we got into that on Wednesday night, one of the things that I pointed out is, uh, hell wasn't created for us, was it? That's where the lost go, but it wasn't created for man. Revelation itself teaches us that hell was created for the devil and his angels. That's messengers, right? So what we're reading about here is this messenger. So as Satan has uh, this direction that he wants uh, in the temptation of people, he also has his messengers who are his providence, if you will, at carrying out his will uh, against the kingdoms of the world even, or against the people of the world. So here in chapter 9, we have him, uh, or at least one of his messengers, affecting uh, people now. Now it starts to affect people. And there was a bottomless pit. And he had a key, and out of the bottomless pit came these terrible, terrible locusts. And what we talked about on Wednesday night is the fact that that's the internal corruption of Rome, and that's the, the destruction that's coming on the world comes through the corruption of Rome. When, when, when everything falls bad with famine and drought and economic collapse and all of that stuff, who do people blame? Government. So then the government you would expect because people are blaming the government then they're going to be humble and they're going to back up and they're going to try to help everybody and they're going to try to fix these policies, right? Is that what they do? No, that's not, especially not a wicked government, right? No, no. They still want all of their own, doesn't matter how everybody else is suffering, I don't want to suffer with you. And so as we read about what's happening here with this this fifth trumpet blowing, what you're reading about is the corruption inside of the leadership of Rome is so great that it's now causing more and more harm on the people, even that nature itself hasn't caused yet, and we, they're described like. By the way, they had a face of a man; these locusts, right? So they're this is men. This is the elements of Rome being brought to bear on the people, and they're powerful. We get descriptions of they're being fierce. They have got great teeth. Uh, they're swift. They're unmerciful. I mean, they just literally are just destroying their own nation from inside. And by the way, history tells us that is what happened with Rome, doesn't it? They weren't defeated by an enemy. They were defeated by their own immorality throughout their land. Okay, that takes us to something. I I have to finish that fifth seal. So what we're going to do is we're going to start in verse 11. Well, let me read verse 10 of uh, Revelation chapter 9. And they had tails like scorpions and there were stings in their tails and their power was to hurt men for five months. Now, we, we talked about that number five. If you have that paper from our introduction that has a lot of the research on it to, to start with on these signs, you know that it meant that there was a period of time is what this is talking about, but it's limited, right? So this, this God is not going to allow Rome's corruption to continue is the point, but it definitely is going to hurt the people for a period of time. And they had as kings over them... The angel of the bottomless pit, whose name is in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek he has the name Apollyon. One woe is past. Behold, t- still two more uh, woes are coming after these things. Now, I- I'm not going to tell you that I got the answer to what this means, but I have an idea. And I, again, I don't like what I read from a lot of the people that write on this book. Because you read about this angel of the bottomless pit, and I'm not sure I'm convinced on a lot of this either, but you read about this angel of the bottomless pit, and what do you think of it? Well, it's got to be the devil, right? I mean, if the bottomless pit is hell or even this Hadian realm of uh, punishment, then the devil would be that. Except for we've already seen the angel of the bottomless pit. He was the one who was released when this trumpet blew, right? And he came down and he opened it up, but that wasn't the devil. An angel is not the devil in this. He's leading them, right? This is one of his messengers. So what we're reading about here is not the devil, and we'll find him shortly. and We'll find out who the devil is in this whole picture. But this is his messenger, the one who showed up and, and opened up the pit, and out came these locusts. That's who's leading all of these locusts, and he has two names. And we get all tied up in these names. This is the part I don't think I'm... I'm fully understanding of but these two names uh, most people believe and maybe the evidence points to this that this is just a reference to domitian because domitian who is the ruler of rome at the end of the, or at this time called himself apollos so he considered himself to be a god and so as a god he's the head he is the one who answers and is responsible for the corruption of this nation right he's the head of the nation i would picture it this way you have a uh, we're about to enter into football season. I'm so thankful. Uh, we're about to enter into football season, but you have these coaching staffs all over the country now who are in their, their offices or their rooms or whatever, and they're working already on uh, lineups and depth charts and uh, 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 Trying to figure out what upcoming opponents are gonna do, scouting out opponents and putting together game plans. They're already doing all that stuff, right? And so you have a group of, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 people sitting around trying to put all this together. But if everything goes bad, where's it all where's all the responsibility you end up? Not on the fifteen coaches, does it? The head coach. He's the one responsible, right? So everything that's happening with Rome and the persecution and the the corruption that's going out, it may be a whole lot of people involved. But there's one that's responsible. The one that could stop it is the head, right? So maybe this is Domitian here. I don't want to say that it's not. I just don't want you to get the idea that there's enough evidence there for me to say definitely that it is. Okay, that, that was very unfulfilling, I'm sure. All right, one woe is past, more are coming. Verse 13. Then the sixth angel sounded and heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar which is before god again representing some strength right saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet release the four angels who are bound at the great river euphrates let's stop there now a lot of times you read this and you remember hey didn't all this start with these trumpets about these four angels and they're at the four corners of the earth and they're just about to bring some kind of judgment but they're restrained And they're restrained for the purpose of these trumpets to blow and these partial judgments coming. So you read the sixth seal and you start to say, there it is. God's going to release those four angels. But they're not the same angels. I know that because as we started all of this with these trumpets, the four that were restrained at the beginning were at the four corners of the earth. That's not where these angels are. Where are they? They're at the Euphrates. They're east. They're all in the east. So these angels that were in the east were restraining something. Well, I've already pointed out to you, and I'm going to say this before we even read through it all, but I've already pointed out to you that Rome crumbled from the inside, right? They didn't crumble by an enemy coming and attacking them and them being destroyed. However, what did happen is they had enemies. And as a consequence of their enemies seeing what was happening in Rome, the enemies all of a sudden took advantage of what they considered a weakness, and the one nation that seemed to be historically, at this time, uh, a real fear for Rome was the Parthians. Well, the Parthians were on the east of the Euphrates. So what God's now saying is he was going to use, he was going to release the opportunity for the enemies of Rome to now create even more problems as a part of this judgment. I mean, and look, does it not happen today? I mean, you think about the terrorist. If they get away with something, do they then say, well, I'm, my life's fulfilled, I'm... I've accomplished my goal in life, or do they say, that was pretty easy. I'm going to find another way. The, you see the weakness, you go through, right? So the Parthians saw weakness, and God was going to use them to, to bring about a partial judgment. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Again, I point out it's a partial judgment there. You see it? A third. And again, it's not literal. Now, the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million, so they're strong. And uh, I heard the number of them, and thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of of fiery red, hyacinth blue, sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions. And out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. So they're powerful. There's a whole lot of them. There's a big army that's coming. As the Parthians are attacking, the Romans have reason to be afraid. Uh, It's not like they're just a, a gnat. On top of that, they have this, this terrible destruction coming with them. Verse 18. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire, the smoke, the brimstone, which came out of their mouths. Four. Notice that connecting word. Their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents having heads, and with them they do harm. Okay? Uh, what could it possibly mean that their power is in their mouth? I'll give you an example. Let's give you an example. David's the king of Israel that followed Saul, right? But he messed up. He messed up terribly in and, and his sin. He tried to cover it up for a year. He's got he a year. He's living in the guilt of, and this will be a part of the sermon this morning too, but he's living with the guilt of his sin for almost a year before Nathan the prophet comes to him and draws him to repentance. And he does repent, doesn't he? And God forgives him, right? And he uses him for, for great things after that. But were there any consequences to his actions, to his sins? You know, things like the child died, right? Okay, but what about his family that was already around before that happened? Were there consequences to them? Yeah, his his family was dysfunctional for the rest of his existence. And one name that stands out where we are in Revelation here is the name Absalom. See, Absalom started to get the idea that, you know what, I want power. I want this power. And so how did he get it? How did he take his father's throne? Yeah. He stood in the gate where the people would come in, the marketplace, and he said, you know what, I don't know why you're coming into this town, because you're not going to get any any justice here, but you know what, if I was the king, if I was the king, you'd get justice, right? Things would be right. The power of what we say, so what we're hearing from the Parthians is not that they are just some physical mighty uh, empire that's going to come in and just crush Rome, but they're, they're going to... They're going to use words and language. We use, even today, war works that some... How many times in World War II do you suppose we dropped uh, leaflets or something like that onto enemy cities or enemy camps or something like that? Okay? They're trying to use words to, to destroy Rome again from the inside. And it works, by the way. A lot of power in words. But after the words, there are consequences. So people listen. People listen to Absalom When he's standing there in the gate and saying, now you can have justice if I was here, and before long you find he is now king and his father's leaving in shame, isn't he? Well, how'd that go for Israel? Yeah, not well. All right, let's go to verse 20. Here's the key to all these trumpets. But the rest of mankind, who were not killed by these plagues, did not repent of the works of their hands that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of the murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Now you start to get the why. Why is it? I mean... This is what's so hard to understand, at least a portion of what's so hard to understand about God, because we're so limited, and we can know the past, and we can know what's happening now, but we can't know what's coming. But God knows, doesn't he? And so if if God already knows uh, that Rome is going to be destroyed, and he prophesied it way before the book of Revelation, he prophesied it was coming. Uh, for example, in Daniel chapter 2, when the kings are established in the days of the kings of Rome... What you end up having happening is all of a sudden this stone actually destroys the other nations, right? Rome's going to fall. Daniel says that in Daniel chapter 2. So God knows the future, and yet we see in his mercy here the opportunity for people to repent anyway. So even though he knows they're not going to listen, the nation, he still offers the opportunity to repent. And that's because some in the nation will. But not the nation, will it? So no matter what, all these things keep coming. It kind of reminds you of Pharaoh, doesn't it? Pharaoh, here's a river of blood. Well, my magicians can do that. Here's some frogs, and here's some uh, lice, and here's some flies, and here's some hail, and here's this, and... Well, none of it worked, did it? Till death came. Because at that point it was too late, right? So these trumpets now have all blown, six of them anyway, and the people didn't listen. Now, just like the six seals... All of a sudden, you have a pause. Now, the sixth seal told us, well, who's going to make it? And so that pause told us, here's the people that's going to make it. God knows who they are. As you get to the sixth trumpet, now all of a sudden, you enter into another pause before the seventh trumpet blows, and this pause is different. What this pause is doing is telling the church how they are going to survive. See, chapter 7 was about individuals. This is about the church. Remember when Jesus is standing with his disciples and he turns to them and he says, who do men say that I am, right? And they say, you know, Isaiah, one of the prophets, whatever. Uh, and he says to them, uh, but who, who do you say that I am? And what do they say? What's Peter say? You're the Christ. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus, in response to that, says, upon this rock I will build my church and... The gates of hell or Hades shall not prevail against it. Well, this, this pause that we're entering into now, or this parentheses that we're entering into now in the book of Revelation is about the answer to that. If the first question is, who can make it? We're looking at individuals. The second question is, what about the church as a whole? What's going to happen to the church as this, as this judgment comes? And the answer is found in the fact that they're going to stay faithful and continue to work anyway even in the midst of the persecution. Wouldn't it feel like if we were in that setting, it'd be easy just to back up and say, let's just coast for a little while, let things calm down? Chapter 10. I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. The thing that stands out there to me is the rainbow. Why? Rainbow represented God's promises. It started after the flood. When Noah and his family walk off that ark, they see the flood, and it's a promise from God, right? I'll never again destroy the earth in this way, right? And so anytime you find that rainbow, what you're finding is a commitment to or a statement of God always keeps his promises. Now, God's promise is the gates of hell shall not prevail against his kingdom, the church, right? So this angel is showing up with a message that says God will fulfill even that promise. And he had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars, and when he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Stop there. So we're in that time of year where, uh, you know, you can just have an incredibly beautiful, clear sky, and then all of a sudden, five minutes later, you're hearing rumbling. You, I, yesterday, I heard rumbling yesterday, and I looked out the window. There's not a cloud anywhere. Okay, but what did I think when I heard the rumble? Yeah, I don't see the storm, but it's coming, right? It's at least going to get close, right? We have those warning systems all around. Maybe you've seen them. They have them at like the softball fields and everything. And if there's a if a lightning strike occurs within a certain distance, that sensor reads it, and it blows a whistle, and everybody's got to leave the open area of danger, right? Thunder is the result of lightning, right? So you may not see the lightning, but if you hear the thunder, you know the storm's coming, right? So as this messenger shows up on the scene, what he is telling John is, now comes the storm. So, verse 4. Now when the seven th- oh and by the way, the number seven is from God, right? Okay, it's a storm from God. And when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered, and do not write them. Well, that's odd. I mean, right in the beginning, when in chapter one John has this encounter with Jesus, isn't he told, "I want you to write the things that you have seen, I want you to write the things that are happening, and I want you to write the things that are about to happen"? So out, now all of a sudden he hears this warning from these seven thunders that are uttered from this angel, and and then God tells him, "Don't write them." Why would he not write them? It's too late it's too late you know uh, uh again this will come up again later but i want to use it we're familiar with hurricanes around here right especially the last what 15 years or so uh, we're familiar with hurricanes what we know is if you pay attention you've got a week two weeks maybe even to get ready right you can start doing little things and pay attention where it's going and then eventually they narrow that thing down and you start to say okay i got to get on the ball and get this done right But you always have opportunity to do it if you pay attention. You always do. And in fact, the day before you know it's going to arrive is the best day. (laughs) It's sucked out all the moisture. There's not a lot of wind because it's all tied up in the storm. So you got, I mean, it's miserably hot, but you got a clear day and you don't got a lot of wind. You can do a whole lot of work, can't you? What about the next day? You're using plywood The the day before the storm. That stuff's easy to handle. Drill it in. Carry it when the wind kicks up the tropical storm force. Much less hurricane, right? Preparation's over. So you're going to sit down inside and you're going to watch the news so the guy can tell you what's going on. But it's not so you can do anything about it, is it? It's just worthless information to you at that point. Okay, what's happening here is all these partial judgments has been God repeatedly saying to them, look, you're in trouble. You turn away from me and you're in trouble and this nation is going to fall. You better turn to me or else you're not going to make it. But now he said, okay, that's enough. Today, the, the storm's arriving. No reason for me to give you any more information. You've already had it all, and you didn't listen. So, this seventh trumpet blowing is the announcement that judgment is now going to happen on Rome. And there's no reason for him to write the warning down. It's already there. All right, verse, uh, where are we? Five, okay. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his hand to heaven. And swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. See? It's just easy; They're out of time. So uh, this messenger says, look, this is coming from God, and God's proclamation is it's, it's going to happen now. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he's about to sound, the mystery of God should be finished or would be finished as he declared to his servants, the prophets. Now we read the word mystery, and we think of a book that we've just got to figure out. A mystery is not something that is hidden. A mystery is something that is learned. How do you answer a mystery? What are what are those uh, rooms that are so popular today that people get themselves locked? Escape rooms, yeah, escape rooms. How do you figure out your way out of a escape room? You look at the clues. You look at the clues and you put the evidence together, you answer the questions, and then you find out, hey, here's a key that gets me out of this room, right? Okay. This message from God is about all throughout time. He goes, we go all the way back, well, we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, but let's just start with Abraham. Abraham is going to be called the father of the faithful, right? But he didn't have a kid. He didn't have a kid, he can't have a kid. God just shows up and says, look, I want you to follow me, and if you follow me where I tell you to go, what will happen is I will bless you with descendants, and ultimately I will bring about a blessing that will be for all. Your, your descendants will be as numberless as the sand on the seashore, or the stars of the heaven. He's talking about the church. He's talking about the kingdom of God, which would be the fulfillment of all that they had had under that Old Testament system, right? So all throughout this time as they're dealing with Gene, this is going to be the opportunity to say something about that. He asked me about the remnant earlier. As they had dealt with this nation, this nation that came out of Abraham, you had this nation, and all throughout their disobedience, you had a remnant, right? And a remnant was a portion of all of the tribes, yet what it really focused on was a seed line, didn't it? And so you got this remnant, and all throughout this remnant, what God keeps saying to them is, Look, you stay faithful, I'll bless you, Messiah is coming. He's going to establish his kingdom, all the prophets, all the captivity, all the endurance, all the return home. None of that was about Israel as a nation. It was all about their fulfillment in a spiritual kingdom that would be coming. And so as he deals with this, this, what's happening here, what he's saying to them is, this angel is showing up and he's uttering judgments coming on Rome. But what I want you to see is what's going to happen to God's kingdom. And again, I would use Daniel chapter 2. You know, you have this image and its head is of gold and that's Babylon. And you've got the other body parts that are the Medes and Persians and the Greeks and the Romans. And then in verse 44, he says, in the days of these kings, I will set up my kingdom. And it will break apart all others. Well, when Rome falls, you know what you have after Rome? You don't have another world power like that. You did before that, didn't you? I mean, You had the Assyrians. Before that, you had others, but the Assyrians are the world power. Once they're the real world power, but then the, the Babylonians replace them, right? And then they're the big world power, right? And then the Medes and Persians, then the Greeks, then the Romans. After that, who's next? Nobody. But the kingdom of God's still there, isn't it? So this answer or to this parenthesis, what it's all about is the kingdom of God. God's going to show you what the kingdom of God is as far as this, this time of difficulty. Verse 8, then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, go take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. And I went to the angel and said to him, give me the little book. And he said to me, take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Now, I wanted to read that whole thing to the end, and I I won't go further than this today, but for the last few minutes, I want to talk about that. So, since this is the end, and what God wants them to know is, what's the church going to do? What's the role of the church as Rome begins to fall? This book contains that information. And so, John is told to go and take this book out of his hand and eat it. Now, surely God's not telling him to literally eat a book, is he? no it's a symbolic this is a symbolic book right just like every other sign in the book of revelation but a book contains information right so god says here's some information and i want you to consume the information and what's going to happen is what's well, going to be really sweet in your mouth but it's going to make your stomach upset that never happens to any of us does it you don't ever i know it, it i'm the only one who goes to the restaurant and they put in front of me this food and i think i'm not taking home leftovers this is just too good right And Only Greg and me? Okay. And then I eat all of that, and then I go home and lay down and say, whew, I eat too much. It's not as sweet here as it was here, right? What John has is he consumes this message, and because of the fact that, can you imagine getting a message from God? (laughs) Can you imagine being Abraham and God saying, hey, go with me, I'll take care of you wherever you go. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being in the garden before sin entered and Adam and Eve and God shows up in the cool of the day to have a conversation with you? Wouldn't it be amazing? Well, guess what? He does that. He does that all through his message. That's the way we ought to feel about coming together and studying his word together. That's the way we ought to feel about studying at home. It is God communicating to us. So this message John gets is God communicating, and because of that, it's incredibly sweet that he gets this communication with God. The problem is, the message that's contained is not a pleasant message. It's not the, the sermon that makes everybody feel good. This is a sermon that says, look, you're going to make it, but wow, you've got a really hard road to get there. It's going to be tough. And so as he devours it, the message from God is amazing and and exciting and he's thrilled by it. But the actual message that what he says is this is what's going to happen with the church. It's not good. So it's bitter. So we'll quit here. Anybody have comments? I hate to ask for that in Revelation. I try to go fast enough so nobody can say anything. And you don't think your comments to class is already over. Okay. Let's go ahead and close with a prayer. I went long last week. I'll close two minutes early today. Father, we're so thankful for the opportunity.